Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is a podcast all about learning to slow down and simplify in a fast-paced and complicated world. My name is Brooke McCallery. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode 199. We are one away from the big double ton and I'm looking forward to this episode as well as the 200. Good, good. Be present, Ben. I know, exactly. (laughs) Be here now. Yes, I'm here now. We're going to talk. Well, we'll talk about your talk with Rachel Cable. Yes, I absolutely love Rachel. If you listen to uh, podcasts in, well, you obviously do because you're listening to this one. Rachel's podcast, The Mindful Kind, is often kind of around the same places ours on iTunes. I often like we're usually kind of next to each other. Really? Uh, hugging. Yeah. Podcast cuddles. Nice. And I, lo- I love Rachel. Uh, she obviously podcasts about mindfulness and she has a very gentle and invitational way of doing it, but also highly practical and accessible. And it's wonderful. We started about the same time, actually, her show and this show. And yeah, it's been cool to see her go from strength to strength and Actually, this is the first time we've been able to talk, and talk. I loved it. Yeah. yeah, I love the opportunity to sit down and chat with her. Yeah, awesome. She's a, Rachel's also going to be involved in a pro, another project where we're working she on is. together. She is with a number of other people. Bit of a secret squirrel thing at the moment. Very yes. secret. We did touch on it in our latest September edition of our live podcast call out that we do for our patreon supporters oh that's right yeah we did so we have we have sort of mentioned it but there you go join join the dots or wait wait a week or wait or wait about a week <laughs> until we can tell you more but i'm very i am super excited to be working with rachel absolutely so tell me about this chat uh it's just delightful all around i really really i just loved chatting you know i don't know something something really what's the word like relaxed about talking to someone who podcasts as well because yeah. we just I mean she usually podcasts solo but she's so articulate and I don't know I just loved it I loved every second of it. and in a strange twist <laughs> at the end when I said thank you Rachel's like hey I could have spoken to you for hours I'm like finally someone actually said that to me <laughs> instead of the other way around full circle <laughs> it comes full circle yeah. so but we do touch on a few really interesting and helpful things I think Rachel speaks about mindfulness for teenagers Oh, nice! and how she first came to understand mindfulness and the importance of it when she was suffering a lot of stress as a teenager. Mm. So it was nice to to talk about that and she gives some really specific um, and helpful pieces of advice there. And then we also talk about balance and I think you know my stance on balance. Mm -hmm. You prefer to tilt? I do indeed. And Rachel has a way of talking about balance, which I loved. She's actually written about it, and I've linked to that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But she talks about balance not as maintaining a quality of attention, but whether or not you feel balanced. Because the reality is work takes up a lot more of our time than downtime mostly. But what are you doing with that downtime? How are you spending your time and your energy? Are you using that time to enhance your balance and self-care and things that you enjoy or are you using it in ways that actually disrupt your balance? Okay, so it's like a perception thing. Exactly. 
Exactly. Whether it's real or perceived, it's still balanced. It's not about, that's right, it's not about actually being equal in our balance and the time and energy we give things, but whether we feel balanced and whether we feel like we're it's getting It's really enough. interesting. I really like it. So where can people find out more? Best place is Rachel's website, which is rachelcable.com. Let me spell it for you because it's R-A-C-H-A-E-L, cable with a K, K-A-B-L-E.com. That's where her blog, her podcast uh, and everything else that Rachel does lives. I will, of course, have that in the show notes as well. But you can also find Rachel's podcast, The Mindful Kind, on iTunes and wherever else you get good ear. And it's it's a cracker of an episode. And I love Rachel. Episode 199, Rachel Cable. Enjoy. Rachel, hello. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, mate, I can't tell you how happy I am to be talking to you. Your voice that is just... such a huge smile. Oh, so, so do I. I'm glad... It... In a way, I'm glad we're not videoing this because I just look like a massive dork, but it's really nice to be talking to you finally. Yeah, no, it's lovely to be talking to you as well, that's for sure. Uh, I want to jump straight into it because I think you have so much, so much that I want to ask you and so much to offer. Your podcast, The Mindful Kind, is beautiful and gentle and such a wonderful introduction and journey into mindfulness and mindfulness in very practical terms as well, which I love. Have you always been someone who's been interested in mindfulness and and living more mindfully or was there a time where maybe that wasn't the case? First of all, thank you so much for those kind words. I really appreciate it. I love talking about mindfulness and I think it did spark an interest in me quite early on, um, mostly because I experienced a lot of stress when I was younger, particularly Mm -hmm. in my teenage years. It was something that really resonated with me. As soon as I found out what it was, I was like, oh, I'm really curious to learn more about this. But it didn't necessarily click with me. I actually thought that it wouldn't really do very much for me Mm -hmm. at all. So I I was volunteering on a helpline when I first really started to learn about what it was and I was studying psychology at university. So I was already really interested in the mind and behavior and understanding why we do what we do and why we think and the way that we think. And it was just, I don't know, it just came to me really naturally that I wanted to learn more about it so that I could educate anyone who called me on the helpline and wanted to use it to manage their own stress. And from there, it just became a bit of a passion, really. I started to I guess, practice it on my own. And then I just, I just started experiencing these benefits. Like I was sleeping better and my relationships felt so much stronger. I realized that I hardly spent any time in the present moment. I was always thinking about the next step. Mm. I was planning and predicting and kind of just letting my mind take over completely. And I didn't often feel like I was relaxed or in the present moment or either that or I was regretting things that I'd done in the past or rehashing my mistakes or just sitting there and kind of thinking about why I wasn't enough or why I wasn't the person that I wanted to be. And I think it was such a relief to discover mindfulness and to start actually practicing it. And it clicked. It just became something that I started to turn to when my stress started running rampant or when I felt like I was overwhelmed. And then I started using it in my daily life and 
things just really took off from there. I started sharing my own journey and people connected with the podcast. And from there, my interest in it has just grown and grown as I've looked into the research and read more about it. It's just been a really amazing journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so much in what you just said that many people can relate to. I think for me, when you were talking about, you know, this this idea of never living in the present moment, either being in the future and worrying about what was still to come and trying to predict and plan or spending so much time in the past, you know, regretting things mm-hmm. or rehashing those those decisions or those mistakes. That was me for years and years. And I love that you, I guess you spoke about mindfulness at first was a tool for you to get through those moments of stress and then slowly it started to integrate itself into every other area of life and I think that that's a really important thing for people to understand about it because we when we start and we you know we explore mindfulness and maybe different strategies that work for us it doesn't always feel like anything's happening straight away you know Mm -hmm. how do you encourage people to to stick with it and have a bit of faith that things are going to be shifting even if it doesn't always feel like it. I think people resonate with my story because I know what it felt like to be Mm. stressed and anxious and to have that kind of very type A personality, you know, I was always striving and pushing and I like talking about that because that's part of who I am. Well, it's definitely part of who I was. I, I still feel like it is a part of me but it's it doesn't rule my world anymore. I mm. still feel like I can relax now and I can appreciate the things that I have and the people in my life and I can slow down, I think. I did used to feel very much like I was living in a fast-paced world and I didn't have any control over it. So now to feel like I have a little bit of control and I can consciously choose to be mindful when I would like to, I think people connect with that story um, and I didn't, I definitely didn't predict that that would be the case. I thought I was the only one, you know, but I think also just, just genuinely sharing what has helped me and I'm, I'm the fact that I'm still learning. I think people like to, people like to see where, where it goes, you know, I mm. feel like there's always something new to discover with mindfulness. I think it's going to be something that I'm learning for the rest of my life. And even now I just, um, about two months ago, started studying, an advanced certificate in meditation. And now I'm just, I feel like I'm constantly learning in a slightly different area, but still just uncovering new things and new techniques and practices nearly every day. It's just amazing to be able to share that. And that's what people like, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think sharing your story and sharing your lessons and your, you know, your, your backwards and forwards steps is a really effective way I think of introducing people to these kind of ideas and these strategies and the fact that it's very human and imperfect and you know we try things and we evolve and I think that that's absolutely what people you know relate to so much with you going back to what you said about being a teenager and and struggling with stress do you have any particular advice because I know we've got a lot of people either younger people listening or parents of younger people who often ask me about that and I don't have teenagers and I'm, you know, 20 years away from being a 15-year-old. So do you have any advice for for people, young people who are struggling and who maybe want to adopt some kind of mindfulness strategies but have no idea where to begin? Yeah, definitely. I would recommend starting with breathing practices. They're what I started with and I found that I still use them 
now mm. like even before this interview I, I was getting a little bit nervous and I was like oh I'll just take a couple of deep breaths and I'll do this little elliptical breathing practice which I've been doing lately which is simply picturing a circular shape in your mind and as you breathe out your breath travels down one side of the circle as you breathe in it travels up the other side of the circle and trying to minimize any pauses in between the mm-hmm. inhalations and exhalations I find that that just helps me breathe a lot deeper a lot slower and almost straight away I can feel the benefits of that like my heart stops racing quite as fast and you know maybe I'm still experiencing some of those symptoms of stress but it's not escalating like it used mm-hmm. to I think I think that's the difference now is that I would feel stress rising and then I would become even more stressed because I was like, oh, my gosh, my stress is, you know, it's kicking in. Here we go. I don't want to do this. Um, I'm freaking out. And that obviously would make it worse and just perpetuate that stress cycle. Whereas now, and I actually read this in a book yesterday. Um, it's called Mindfulness for Health. It's, it's such a great book. But it said something along the lines of how we can start tuning into our breath and it becomes like an early warning system for when our stress is starting to take over And for me, that's definitely the case. I notice now that when I'm breathing very rapidly and I can pick up on those stress symptoms, that's when I know that it's a good time to start practicing Mm. mindfulness or do some kind of relaxation or meditation. Um, And I think the breath is quite a natural place to start because you can do it anywhere and anytime and no one has to know that you're doing it. I think that's that's one of the reasons why it's such a great tool I guess to utilize Um, our breath is very involved with our stress response so the fact that we actually can have some control over that like you can't tell your heart or stop beating so quickly because I don't want to be feeling stressed right now or I want to kind of slow down and manage my stress Uh, you can't tell your body to stop sweating you can't tell your body to stop sending out those hormones but you can have some control over the breath so I think that's a really good place to start and there are so many different breathing techniques that you can use I you know I just talked about the elliptical breathing technique but there are so many like you can breathe in for the count of three hold for the count of three breathe out for the count of three that's called the breathing waltz because obviously it's in counts of three (laughs) and that's a really easy one to remember I learned that when I was volunteering at the anxiety recovery center and we often recommended it for people who were experiencing panic attacks because it was helpful for some of them But at the same time, if the breath doesn't work as well for you or you find that it's escalating your stress, which can happen sometimes too, there are so many other practices that you can use, um, a simple grounding technique like tuning into the present moment, noticing what you can see, noticing what you can hear, noticing if you can taste anything or smell anything and tuning into the sensations in your body and what the ground feels like underneath your feet. There's just a multitude of ways that you can practice mindfulness in everyday life and from moment to moment if you do notice that stress is starting to build. Yeah, absolutely. That that grounding technique, you know, the body scan sort of um, or scanning through the senses was the first ever exercise that I was given by my psychiatrist way back in the day and I was floored by the difference it made to my headspace, even just spending one or two minutes scanning slowly through each of my senses was a game changer. It could turn around, you know, I was in this horrible reactionary kind of angry phase. And if I allowed myself that one or two minutes to just sit and and scan through my senses, I didn't feel this zenful, you know, blissful kind of happiness afterwards, but I had that little break that little moment of not being in my head and that Mm -hmm. was often enough 
Yeah. And I love that what you say is breathing is, is if it works for you, it's accessible literally anywhere because you're doing it anyway. You know, you could be on the train, you could be in the bathroom, you could be sitting in the car for an extra minute or two and just use that time to tap in and, and then move on with your day. But you move on with that little bit of extra space that you've created. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really helped change my perspective of stress as well. I used to think that stress was such a negative thing and it was mm-hmm. terrifying and I didn't I didn't want to feel it ever. Whereas now I feel as though my stress is a mechanism essentially that's mm. just trying to keep me safe. It's trying to protect me, you know. It's maybe a little bit misguided sometimes, but it really just <laughs> wants to help. And I think that learning how to understand my stress triggers and knowing how to slow things down it's it's made stress less of a scary thing and it's just become what it is I Mm. I think which is just that mechanism which we all have if we're feeling stressed it usually means that we're about to do something that we really care about yeah so I think stress isn't necessarily inherently a bad thing we've just learned that it's 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 scary (laughs) yeah that's actually a really good point and I think by not demonizing it you know and making it this thing that we sort of stand rigidly against and battle against and I guess by treating it as that you know this thing that's trying to protect us you can soften into it I mean I think stress it's part of life you know it doesn't matter what you do for work or what your circumstances are you're going to have stressful things that happen and I think that's a really helpful way of kind of reframing it because I used to feel like I was just this rigid being trying to force my way through stress and you know get through it as quickly as possible whereas again that softening into it and that understanding that yes maybe it's actually that it's happening for a reason is really helpful as well I like that a lot yeah (laughs) can I go back and and ask you a bigger picture question I guess how do you describe mindfulness Oh, that's a great question. I describe mindfulness as being in the present moment, but with open-mindedness and curiosity. So for example, if I'm drinking a cup of coffee, I could be completely out of the moment. I could be planning what I need to get from the grocery store tonight or, you know, what I have to do this afternoon or I should probably get this thing prepared for tomorrow. Either that or I could be thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't, you know, said this thing at work yesterday mm-hmm. <laughs> or I wish I hadn't gone to that party because I'm really tired now and I'm so exhausted and then just get caught up in all these different thoughts. I can drink my coffee and appreciate the flavor and the aroma and the warmth of the cup in my hands and just start to, I think, sink into the present moment. Mm. And it's not always as simple as that. You know, I definitely notice that when I'm having a cup of coffee, my mind starts to wander. And then now that I've been practicing mindfulness for a while, I pick up on it pretty quickly. I think, you know what, I don't need to be thinking about that right now. I can enjoy my cup of coffee. I can appreciate all the different sensations of it. And I think it's just this continuous cycle of bringing myself back to the present moment and not putting any judgment on myself if I do notice that my mind has wandered because it's a very natural thing to do and I'm still learning. And, yeah, I think that's essentially what mindfulness is. It's about being curious as to what our experience actually is. Mm. Is the goal for you, is the aim, is the idea to approach every moment of your day mindfully? No, I think that my approach is simply to use mindfulness in a very fluid and relaxed way. Hmm. Otherwise, it does become another pressure or another kind of <laughs> thing on my to-do list. And I think yeah. 
I think we do have a lot of pressure on ourselves already. So I didn't want to add to that. (laughs) Um, So I think that's a great question to ask because I think a lot of people do go into it thinking, oh, I need to be mindful all the time. And Mm -hmm. as soon as they aren't, they feel like they've failed and they give up on their practice. So it's really just about being conscious and mindful whenever you would like to. You know, sometimes I... I'm lying in bed in the morning and, you know, we've got our dog in there for a cuddle and it's like, oh, I really love this moment. Like I Mm. I really just want to take some time to appreciate this moment and everything in it rather than lying there thinking, oh, when is my alarm going to go off and already starting to plan out my day. And I I do that very naturally. Like I did that for years. As soon as I woke up, I was racing (laughs) in Mm. my mind away from the present moment. So being able to bring myself back and actually enjoy what a beautiful time that is. It's so comfortable and so safe and so lovely. It's it's empowering, I think, being able to practice mindfulness when I would like to. Yeah, and I think our tendency is when we hear of these kind of ideas like mindfulness that maybe we don't necessarily understand, but we we understand that they're important and people are, you know, espousing the benefits of them. As humans, and this is certainly what I did initially, we're very all or nothing. You know, mm. we need to be all in this thing or not at all. And if we if we we feel like we're not all in, then we do feel like we're failing. And it took me a, quite a while to realize that it's just about choosing these pockets and dipping into mindfulness rather than kind of floating through every moment of every day, um, you know, <laughs> completely in the present moment. As nice as that sounds, it's not necessarily practical. But mm. yeah, I think I think that's a a really lovely way of putting it. You wrote this amazing post on your blog a little while ago about the idea of balance and it's something I wanted to talk to you about because I think we have very similar ideas on the myth of work-life balance and I love the way that you distinguish between striking some kind of work-life balance, this mythical thing that everyone's so stressed about attaining and instead trying to find yourself feeling balanced and I love that distinction because I think it's it's subtle, but it's really important. It's not everything over here is getting equal amounts of my attention and I am balanced as a result. It's looking at your life holistically and thinking, do I feel balanced? Am I spending enough time in the things that are important to me? Is that something that you've sort of worked on and arrived at over time? Yeah, definitely. I love that you picked up on that. I think that was one of the main things that I tried to get across in that article, and I also did the balance mini series on my podcast, I think from episodes 90 to 94, maybe Mm -hmm. talking about balance and how it works for different people and different balance tools like books and resources. And I think that balance is very unique to every different person. For me, I feel unbalanced when I spend a lot of time doing social things. I don't I don't really feel energized by social things. I find them a bit draining. Like even Mm. when I'm around people that I absolutely love and adore, I feel like I need some time alone to recharge. I'm quite an introverted person. But there are other people who are quite extroverted or maybe they just love being in social situations and they feel energized and they love being in in those situations. So for them, they might feel unbalanced when they don't have enough of that. I think that just starting to understand what your values are, what you enjoy, what feels really good for you, is a great place to start. And I know that sounds kind of difficult to do, but actually it's it's not that difficult. If you sit down and look at the different areas of your life and rather than rating how much time you spend mm. doing those things, look at how satisfied or how content you are and look at which ones energize you and make you feel really good and, and notice if you're putting those on the back burner. 
for me, I, I spend a lot of time working. I have my part-time job three days a week and I also spend the other four days doing all my business things. So my podcast and writing articles and my newsletter and everything else. And I love that. Like I, I, I enjoy my work. I am happy to come home after an eight hour day at my other job and come home and write something or do reading on mindfulness and, you know, start doing some of my meditation certificate exercises. It's, it feels great for me. So I spend a lot of time doing things that people would assume is work, but I love it. Like it feels great for me. So yeah, I think it's just understanding what really works for yourself really. Yeah. Just starting to softly encourage yourself to do more of the things which do make you feel happy and good and, you know, all those good things. That's right. Rather than striving for whatever we think it should look like, you know, um, figuring out and asking the deeper questions of what fills me up and what depletes me. You, you wrote about the idea of balance disruptors and balance protectors, which I really liked as well. And it's about sort of finding time to work on or, you know, make sure that those balance protectors are part of your life so that the balance disruptors don't get too much attention or too much of your time. <laughs> Someone listening to this who's like, okay, I'm, I'm on board with this idea. How do they figure out what those balance protectors and disruptors are? I mean, is it just a matter of writing it down and thinking through their day and seeing what fills them up and what depletes them or is there something else that you'd recommend? Yeah, I definitely think writing it down is the first kind of step in clarifying what your balance protectors and disruptors are and I think that we actually have a little bit of a tendency to focus more on the disruptors. Mm. I don't know why but from what I've noticed um, when I talk to people about this idea of balance protectors and disruptors, we feel like there's more pressure to do the things which don't necessarily make us feel great (laughs) I don't know why whereas our protectors we see is oh we can do those later or I can do that when I've got all the disruptors taken care of so for me it feels a little bit difficult at first to start really nurturing your balance protectors and seeing them as just as important as the balance disruptors so for example a balance protector for me is being creative I, I like taking flat lay photos and I could easily spend a couple of hours doing that I would prioritize doing something which I see as a balance disruptor for me. Mm. I don't know why I would prioritize. I used to prioritize that over something that would make me feel like I was filling up my little, you know, self-care cup. So I think understanding what your balance protectors and disruptors are is definitely a really great start. And then start to look at the balance between them. Are you putting Mm. a lot more emphasis on the balance disruptors? Do you see your balance protectors as less important? And can you start to shift that? Can you find a balance protector, which you know is really good for you, and just start doing it once a day or once a week, you know, whatever feels really good for you. And yeah, I guess start to prioritize them Mm. a little more. Yeah. And you mentioned self-care. And I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with. We have this tendency to believe that self-care is selfish, Mm. that it's self-centered, and it takes a lot of convincing, I think, to flip that on its head. And and for me, it was realizing that if I took that bit of extra time every day to engage in self-care, I could actually turn around and do everything else better. I was a better mother. I was a better partner. I was a better friend. I was a better writer, you know, and I think that's that's part of the conversation, even just the internal conversation that we need to shift because it's not selfish to look after ourselves. It means that we can do everything else 
much more effectively and have that clarity to to question is this filling me up is this you know moving me closer to my why or whatever it is that we're using to to kind of you know direct our our actions and our choices and i think that clarity comes from spending a little bit of time protecting ourselves and protecting our balance do you find that people are resistant to the idea of self-care for that reason i wholeheartedly agree first of all with what you're talking about with self-care and how you feel like you're a better person when you have done it I definitely find the same thing Mm. happens for me I'm just more creative and more productive I'm in a better headspace there's so many different ways that practicing self-care and and making time for it in my day helps me to be the person that I want to be um I personally haven't found that much resistance to the idea of self-care. I think the people that come to me are looking for some Mm. answers in that area. But I have definitely heard of quite a few barriers that people come up against. Um, For example, some people have – oh, well, there's one person in particular who's absolutely lovely and messaged me about how she was falling asleep and feeling exhausted every time she sat down to do a self-care practice. Like she would get to the end of a really busy day, go to bed and have the intention to journal or do something, you know, meditation or self-care wise. And she would just fall asleep because she was so exhausted. And I completely understand. We do have very busy lives and lifestyles. And I think that my advice to her was to start seeing sleep as a self-care practice for Mm. her I mean she obviously needed it (laughs) we can choose maybe just to do one thing we don't have to have a whole routine of things at the end of the night if we're finding that we're time poor or that we're really really tired you can definitely incorporate self-care in a way that feels easy and I think that's that's part of what has felt good for me is finding what feels easy and simple to incorporate because otherwise it does become another stress. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it makes it really hard to want to practice self-care. So well, It feels like another thing on the to-do list, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Or even start to look at some of the things that you already do in your life and see how you could do those. Just change your perspective of what mm. it is and look at, oh, okay, well, I sleep every night, so why don't I see that as a self-care practice and start to go to bed on time when I'm starting to feel tired and you know, set myself up in a nice way to have a good sleep, you know, have dark curtains and a comfortable bed and put the effort into doing those things that you already do in a more self-caring way, even putting on moisturizer at the end of the day. You know, I don't just slap it on anymore and um, get it over as fast as I could so I could go to bed. I take a little bit of time to just massage it into my skin and appreciate the body that I have and just do a couple of things differently or think about things differently as you do them. Yeah. And I mean, that's really ritualizing things that we're already doing, isn't it? You know, if and just flipping them again and, and making them into a a mindfulness or a self-care practice. And I think Mm. there's so many opportunities for that in our day. It's just maybe that we're not attuned to seeing them that way. Yeah, definitely. There there are. Yeah, that's a really lovely idea. You know, you could eat more mindfully and drink more mindfully, go for a mindful walk. You know, every time that you're even just noticing that, oh, I could practice mindfulness in this moment, whether you're just sitting on the couch and scrolling through Instagram, maybe you could, you know, put your phone down just for 10 seconds and close your eyes and feel your body connected with the couch or yeah, there are just yeah, so many opportunities and at work, it's like, oh, my back's starting to get a bit sore. I'm a little bit hunched over correct my posture, do a little bit of a stretch with my arms and just take a few deep breaths, check in with whether I am starting to feel a bit stressed. 
And yeah, there's just so many simple ways that you can incorporate it every day very easily. And they don't need to take a whole lot of extra time, which I think is often one of the big obstacles that we throw in our own way. Mm. Like, this is a nice idea, but I don't have time to practice mindfulness. I don't have time to meditate for an hour a day, which may well be true. And I think that, yeah, ritualizing these little moments is a way of creating mindfulness without adding any time to what may already be a really busy schedule. It's sort of just re-evaluating what that time stands for. Yeah, and I think it's really important. You know, it's it sounds like it's such a simple thing to do, and it is, but at the same time we do have to put a little bit of – it's funny that we have to put a little bit of effort into doing that one thing mindfully rather than being distracted and multitasking and thinking about mm. the future or anything like that. But it really can make a huge difference. And it was only recently I saw a survey. I think it was more than 10,000 women in Australia. It was called the Jean Hales survey. I don't know if you saw it, but of the 10,000 women that were surveyed, there was about 41% had been professionally diagnosed with either stress, like an anxiety disorder or depression. And mm. that blew my mind because that's nearly nearly half of women have oh. been professionally diagnosed. That's not even the people that are going undiagnosed or not reporting their symptoms to anybody. And other studies have shown that the depression rates for men are higher than for women. Wow. And it's just like we we really need to start prioritizing things like mindfulness and self-care or whatever works for, you know, if there's a listener and they're like, oh, I love going for bike rides and that just, I absolutely love it. Then, then do more of that because there's mm. never been a more important time to start taking care of ourselves and to start addressing the fact that mental health is really, really, really important. <laughs> Absolutely. And I've been having some amazing conversations with people recently about this. You know, there is an epidemic of anxiety and depression, as you say, both diagnosed and undiagnosed. And we're seeing that with suicide rates and mm. just people suffering enormously. And I think that, that this is a really kind of kind and gentle way to start making those changes and start to access, you know, our ability to have conversations about it. And I think often people find that once they, they open themselves up or they, they approach these ideas with curiosity, as you say, um, those conversations and realisations do start to come gradually after. Mm. But I think that, you know, rather than sort of forcing everyone into the light and saying, let's talk about our feelings, you know, this is a really <laughs> nice way of encouraging people to just start tapping into them yeah, in learning, the first place. Yeah, learning to check in with yourself, learning how to notice when things are getting a bit stressful and then to activate your self-care plan or talk to someone mm. who can help support you and you know we don't need to suffer in silence and I think that a lot of people feel like they need to do that I know I definitely felt like I needed to do that back yeah, in the day absolutely. as soon as I feel like now I'm getting stressed or even just the other night I um I had a lot happening this week because yesterday was the are you okay day and I was speaking at my work and I just have a lot of things happening at the moment we um came back from a trip away and it just kind of was like oh my gosh I've got so many things over a period of a week that you know, feels a little bit overwhelming. And I was lying in bed. It was probably about 10.30 and I normally fall asleep around 10 o'clock pretty easily. So to be awake at 10.30 and still feel like I hadn't switched off isn't normal for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And Deck was already asleep, my partner, and I actually woke him up and I felt a little bit bad. But, you know, I know that if it was reverse, I would want to be there for him. And I just told him, like, I'm feeling really stressed and can I just have a hug? Like, I, I can't mm. switch off right now. I'm thinking about this and this and this. And he knows now that all I need is a hug and to be able to just get it off my chest. And then that helps me so much to be able to do that. But I didn't used to do that. I just 
you know, I just took it on all myself and kept thinking and I would have laid there until two o'clock in the morning if it, yeah. if I had to. So, yeah, I, I do think that we we don't need to um, suffer and we can no. find lots of different ways to improve our well-being and improve mental health. And, you know, even if it means seeing a psychologist at the start to get yourself a couple of ideas. Like I still see a psychologist now. I think it's great because I get to go to her and talk about all the things that are happening in my life and look at whether there are any, you know, new things or new techniques that I can incorporate to help me manage everything and to feel less stressed. And I think that's great. I feel like a lot of people should do that because it's, (laughs) I look forward to seeing her and being like, oh, you know, someone to talk to and listen. I know she's going to listen to me non-judgmentally and I can talk about anything and it's great. I think it's time to normalize the fact that everyone's an individual. Everyone has their own struggles and stresses. And yeah, I think the other aspect of practicing more mindfulness is we do become less judgmental and yes. it becomes easier to have these open conversations. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree on all counts there. <laughs> you know, if you feel like you need to get some support, then then absolutely go and find someone who can offer that to you, be it professionally or personally or both. Uh, and sometimes I think just verbalising things to a non-judgmental ear makes such a difference it's kind of it just loosens things shifts things around a little bit maybe unearths a a little bit of a deeper layer that we wouldn't have otherwise seen and I think just continuously doing these things for ourselves and talking about things or shifting things around a little is over time has such an incredible impact Mm -hmm. on our ability to then show self-compassion and to talk and to have these deeper conversations and the you know the roll-on effect is is enormous and I think there's so much potential for like society in in general Mm. to benefit from that as well yeah I definitely agree the other part of your of your podcast we've got mindfulness uh, and kindness as well and I love that you've combined the two and you've spoken quite clearly about kindness already in our conversation that you know you volunteer but also the kindness that you show yourself and the people around you what do you think the relationship is between mindfulness and kindness I think that the two are very interrelated I think that to be mindful we do have to show a level of kindness towards ourselves Mm -hmm. and towards others just because it has that non-judgmental component you know I used to notice that I was having a thought and I would be like oh I'm having this thought I'm stupid I'm wrong Mm -hmm. why am I thinking about this and it was very judgmental Whereas now I can notice, oh, I'm having a thought. That's all right. It's just a thought. I have like 70,000 of them every day. It's not a big deal. (laughs) So I think that being mindful does kind of facilitate opportunities to become more self-compassionate, not only towards yourself. It definitely starts, I think, with yourself. And then it starts to, I guess, infuse into relationships Mm. with other people. Because when we're less harsh and mean towards ourselves, it just naturally happens that we, we become... Uh, nicer I think in general and uh, that's what I found for me it was hard to be nice to others when I was constantly beating myself up and tearing myself down Um, I definitely tried because compassion is one of my um, I feel like it's one of my biggest values and something that I always wanted to do be helping people and helping animals and just making a difference in the world but it's so much easier now that I'm actually being kind to myself (laughs) it feels like I don't know. It it feels like I had a lot of potential to be kinder towards myself and others. And now that I'm being mindful, I can tap into that a lot more. Mm. Yeah. I think 
you're, you're so right. <laughs> I just had a, a big moment when you were talking about that, how difficult it was to show kindness and true, genuine kindness to others when that was lacking for yourself. And that was, that was me. That was my story for a long time. And I absolutely agree that once you start to live more mindfully and just become in general more aware, that kindness has the ability to kind of grow within you and then permeate out into everything you do. I've become much more compassionate and open-minded and maybe a better person really (laughs) uh, because I've been able to to show that kindness to myself and I think I tried I again like you I tried for ever to to be that kind of person and it was there but it was so hard Mm. for it to you know be all kind of consuming to put positivity out into the world when there was so much negativity happening internally and I think that it's interesting that so often that journey, it has, as you said before, it has to start internally, I think. But the, the way it sort of ripples out into the world is, is fascinating too because I see, I talk to people all the time who they, they go on this inner journey and they start to live more mindfully and tap into their values and, you know, care for themselves more. And then quite often, you know, probably in the majority of cases, they start to then think about how can I help the world? Mm-hmm. What can I do outward? to to make things better for other people. Do you find that that's a really common sort of journey for people that you work with as well? I think so. I mean, it's hard to speak for other people and what they've gone through, but I, I definitely have found that people seem to find relief in practicing mm. mindfulness and being a bit more compassionate and kind towards themselves because they they have spent a long time, you know, in their own mind talking about things towards themselves that aren't very nice. And I definitely felt the same way. Like when I'm, you know, out and about and social situations have been, you know, difficult for me in the past, I feel like now I can just get past my own thoughts and limitations mm-hmm. of how I can interact with people. Like, you know, just something as simple as ordering a coffee you know, from the cafe, I'll strike up a conversation now with the barista or the girl that's serving me or, you know, it it just feels like rather than being like, oh, no, I don't want to say anything because, you know, they'll probably think I'm stupid and I'll say the wrong Mm -hmm. thing and, you know, I'll make some kind of joke and no one will laugh and all these things that I used to think (laughs) and kind of was spiraling around in the back of my head and, you know, made me not just introverted but very shy. Now I'm like, oh, okay, that's all right. I'm having those thoughts, you know, but I I value having a, a connection with someone and I'm going to go out of my way to try and make them smile. <laughs> mm, I feel like you're in my head. <laughs> you know, those, those conversations we have with ourselves, like I'd really like to be that kind of person who strikes up a conversation with a stranger, but I'm not because, you know, I say dumb things and I'm awkward and blah, blah, blah. And, I, yeah, I love that you're able to take mindfulness and use it as a way of navigating those areas of of life that we can often find, you know, trip us up. Just before we finish, if someone is listening and they do find themselves up in their head in those kind of social situations, they feel awkward all the time, what's one thing that they can do, I guess, to to slowly start to shift out of that and stop looking so inwardly and, and in such a negative light looking at themselves and turn it around and, and start to, I guess, show that kindness and to themselves and then outwardly in those sort of social situations? Is there something that people can do or to start to think about? Mm, that's a really good question. I think the way that I've approached it is to have just something to say at the start. 
And Mm -hmm. then it just kind of goes from there. Like I just ask, you know, how's your day going? Just something really simple, really easy. And then it just gets a conversation going. There's no like pressure. I don't need to make a joke or (laughs) anything like that. It's just a conversation with a real person. I'm a real person. If they don't want to have a conversation, that's fine too. Like I'm, I'm happy for them to just want to do their own thing. I don't know what's happening for them either. I think just going into things with that mindful attitude, non-judgmental curiosity to see what might happen. And starting to remove some of that pressure, like, oh, this has to go perfectly. It's just like, I can I can learn from this. I can grow from this. I can have an experience from this, which I wouldn't have had if I hadn't been brave and just given it a shot. And I, I think you can apply that to your mindfulness practice as well. You know, go into it and see what might happen. Try different practices. There are so many to choose from. Uh, you might like to listen to my podcast and I know there are other mindfulness podcasts as well. So check those out or read some books. Just start to go for it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's it. You have to start somewhere and you can start really small and you can start with curiosity and open-mindedness rather than diving headfirst into, you know, like a hardcore meditation practice or something like that. Just Mm -hmm. start and just be consistent even in a really small way. And I can absolutely recommend that people listen to your podcast because it's such a beautiful place to begin. I mean, even if they've been exploring mindfulness for years, the way you approach it is so warm and wonderful and kind. So absolutely, please go and listen to Rachel's podcast, uh, The Mindful Kind. But um, thank you so much for your time and, um, you know, for, for sharing so openly. It's been awesome chatting with you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much. There's so many great questions in there. I feel like I could just talk to you for hours. I can't believe how quickly uh, I, this is over. I know. I just checked the time. I'm like, oh, wow, I have to stop talking so Rachel can go and do other things. Um, but thank you. It's been awesome. Yeah, no, thank you. Who is that? Hi, Papa.